0: God's grace and his mercy and his peace are yours and Jesus Christ our Savior for joining us online. We welcome you. Delighted that you're able to be here. I have three real simple outline points. I mean if you want to jot any notes on these because I'm using uh, as my text this text of the prodigal son the lost son from Luke 15. It's just simply my single favorite story and on Thanksgiving I get to pick what I want. So, um, uh, but there's a twist to this that I found fascinating as I got a chance to examine it yet once again, just from a little bit different angle. So I don't know how many of you uh, have worked in jobs where um, you had to do an annual inventory. And there's a story that goes of a pastor, a pretty famous pastor, and his very first job was kind of as a clerk and a kind of an errand boy. He was 13 years old. It's probably illegal. It tells you how long ago this was, but of a general store in a small town. And a general store, like Teresa's dad, uh, th- dad, my father-in-law, owned a Western Auto Store. Do you remember those? A Western Auto Store in Kellogg, Idaho, up in the Silver Valley near Coeur d'Alene. And, so, and in that store... It was like one of these. People would come in for something, and he would say, give me a minute. He could find it. It had everything. I mean, it, had every, it didn't sell food, uh, but it had everything. And so it just, it's a, it just stuff stacked everywhere, and, and doing an inventory in a general store like that is laborious. But this pastor tells a story. He was young. It wasn't a, a word in his vocabulary. And so he went to the owner of the store because, as the, because everybody was grumbling about it. Everybody grumbled about inventory. Oh, inventory's coming again. And if you've worked in a department store, it's a laborious task. If you've worked in a big, big box store or something, it is quite a task. You shut down the store, you work all the way through the evening often, and uh, and people try to get out of it. They try to uh, avoid it and so forth. And so he goes to the owner and says, he says, sir, what's an inventory? And he said, the owner said to him, Uh, He explained that it was a time when you made a list of everything that you had, from groceries on the shelves to wrapping paper and string. Still somewhat puzzled, the young uh, McLennan, this young boy, asked why. Well, responded the owner, It's easy to forget exactly how much you have each year. Every now and then you have to take an inventory just to see what all you have. I got roped into this as a college student, and I just, when I was a college student, I needed money so bad I took every shift I could possibly take every time. And so when the manager said in the restaurant in LaGuardia Airport, kind of a fancy restaurant, we have to do inventory, I'd never done that before and I volunteered. And so we worked through the night, through the weekend, over the New Year's Eve. That was the time when they did it because the the airport was very quiet, and so not many customers. And and you counted every plate. You counted every fork. You counted every utensil. You counted everything. And it was amazing to me when I said to him, and once we got through that, I said, you know, I don't know if I want to do that again. (laughs) And he said, why? I said, because it takes so long. And you know what his response to me was? I'll never forget it. His response was, thank God that it's not the opposite. That if your inventory only took moments, think how little you would have. We have so much, right? we, We can't say anything today without saying how blessed we are. I mean, in so many physical ways we can say it, but to gather in this place with the very grace of God washing over us, filling us up, God calling us His family, gathering us together, fulfilling promises to never leave us, never abandon us, to give us a sure and certain hope, to prepare a place for us. All of the promises which God has had for us, thank God that it takes forever for us to do inventory. And that's not really the heartbeat of what I want to share with you today, but it does talk about what goes along with thanksgiving. It's natural, and you can hear Thanksgiving sermons constantly about how we should give thanks. And, you know, the one leper out of the ten, he should be having an attitude of gratitude. But I wanted to talk about something just a little bit different. This is interesting. People, um, pastors, and those of us that serve you in worship and so forth, or people who, you know, if you do a solo or the choir sings or our praise band leads... Sometimes it's awkward like people will say when I was a young pastor people would say something like uh, Wow, what a great sermon, you know, it didn't happen very often But once in a while (laughs) people would say what a great sermon and you know How do you respond to that and so the very sanctimonious response is oh to God be the glory, right? That's not wrong There's nothing wrong with that right, but you said it again and again and again and again and in the end Somebody was trying to say to you, of course God gets the glory, but we're really grateful for how you shared that with us. And it took me years to learn to say what? Thank you. you. Or when they said thank you for me to say, you're welcome. Happy to do it. Thrilled to do it. Honored to do it. Honored to do it. And so it's, an, it's kind of an interesting thing, and it's not wrong. Boy, boy, please, now when somebody says to God be the glory, you're going to go, well, Pastor Dinger So that was stupid. <laughs> and, 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 no, I'm not, I don't mean that at all. Of course, to God be the glory, and that should be on the lips of every Christian at all times and every place, right? All the time. And that reminder from Lincoln who says, don't forget, sometimes we have taken all his credit to ourselves. So it is appropriate for us to always remember God gets the glory first, but thank you, and you're welcome. And it's the phrase "you're welcome" that I think is the one that I wanna I wanna be able to focus on here. It's interesting. So we learned something about this in Japan when Teresa and I lived there. And there's three expressions that you learned in common uh, day-to-day living, and one of them is um, when you leave the house, or you leave you you're at a party, or you're with a group of people, or you're going out from home, and as you go. The people in the home, mom or dad or whoever, would say, itirashai, "Itterashai," And it literally means go and come back. Please go and come back safely. It has a deeper meaning, though, and it means go and you will be welcome back. A second word that they use is right before they eat, right before they eat. And so um, they're served, they, give, they get a meal, and right before you eat, in our Christian tradition, we, we, have, we say grace, or we give thanks for the food. In Japan, it's a, it's a universal saying in which they will say, itadakimasu. And it means we gratefully receive, literally. But it's in additional sense, this root of this word, these words that I'm giving you, means it's welcome to me. I am welcoming this which you have given me. And then a third one, which literally does mean welcome, this is really the, the etymology of this word, is whenever you go to a store, they always say, and there's people, they hire people to shout this at you, and they shout it at you as you enter the store, and it's irashaimase, 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 and it means welcome to my shop, welcome to my store, welcome. And it's this phrase that intrigues me. I loved learning that sense. It wasn't as much thank you as you're welcome. Now, let's look at the prodigal son for a minute and see. Because they were grateful, they were able to extend welcome. Okay, see if that makes sense. Because they were grateful, they were able to extend welcome. Now, take the prodigal son for a minute. I'm going to go backwards with this story. I should just read it all to you, but I'm not going to do that. I'll give you the the dinger paraphrase here. So, you know the story. The younger son, who shouldn't get any inheritance, says to his dad, I wish you were dead. I would like my chunk of the inheritance. Which, to be honest, he was not entitled to. And the father, astoundingly, to Jesus' audience, astoundingly agrees. Sells off part of the estate. Gives him his share of the estate, he goes to Vegas, he blows it all. He thinks he can win friend and influence people by the free spending of his money, and then along comes economic downturn, famine, loss, and where does he turn? He's got nothing. All his friends desert him. All his friends desert him. There's this huge recession, there's no jobs, and the only job this good Orthodox Jewish boy can get is to feed the pigs. And so he's ritually and ceremonially unclean, he is outcast, he has been abandoned, and of course he comes to his senses, it says that literally in the text, and when he came to his senses, he thought, the hired help at home lived better than this. I'm going to go home and I'm going to apologize to dad and hope that he will take me back as a hired hand. And so then one of the great lines in it, so he goes home. One of the great lines, and while he was a long ways off, which means, right? You know what that means. The father was on the lookout. He was looking out for him. So he either had lookouts looking for him, or he himself had set up his office on the top of the house facing the way his son could only come home. And when he was a long way off, he ran. And no Jewish men didn't run anywhere. You can't. You're in a dress, right? So he runs to him, and when he sees him, the son... In humility says, Dad, I don't deserve to be your son. I blew it. Um, could I come back and work for you? And before he can finish the spiel, the father just swarms him, swamps him, and yells to his servants, come here, come here, come here. And he gives him his son the ring and the shoes and the robe, and he says, kill the fatted calf, right? You know, call, call, uh, call Papa John's, man. We need a big feast. We're going to bring them all in, we're going to feed everybody, we're going to invite everybody we can see, and why? Because my son, who was lost and found, he was dead and is alive again, okay? And then we often stop there, don't we, because it's such a long reading and it would take a long time. But of course, there's the older son. And so when the the people come back, they kind of run to the older son and they go, hey, did you hear the news? Your younger brother's back. And he probably swears a couple times, and he's mad at that, and he's disgusted by that. And, you know, it's interesting because you would hope. That's awesome, fantastic run to meet him. But he's like, all this time, right, dad has to come out to him. He won't come into the party, and dad has to go out and say, come in, party. And the son says, dad, I was here all the time. I never blew it. I didn't ask for nothing. I didn't even ask for you to throw a party for my buddies, But this loser comes home, and you throw out the red carpet, and you treat him as if nothing wrong happened. And again, of course, the father, right? It's right for us to celebrate. Why won't you celebrate? It's lost and found, dead and alive again. And he leaves there. Jesus leaves the parable there. You don't know if the older son ever comes in. You hope so, right? But you don't know. We're not real optimistic about it. So here's the three parts about welcome. The prodigal son, I want to start with the elder brother. And here's the challenge for the elder brother. He can't welcome his brother home. He can't say to him, you're welcome. And what makes us say you're welcome is us being able to say thank you. The elder brother believes that he has earned what he has. And that for a welcome home, the younger brother needed to have earned something, qualified in some way, shown proper respect or humility, proper behavior, proper retribution. Um, A welcome is only appropriate to a proper performance. Here's what I'm saying. Uh, The reason I wanted to share this with you today is Thanksgiving for us, I think it's actually not too hard. It's not too hard and I think we do pretty good of it, to stop and say, okay, Lord, I'm thankful for these blessings. To be honest, Jesus tells a parable about this with a a tax collector and a Pharisee who go into the synagogue or to the temple. And one of them stops and says, oh, Lord, thank you. He's grateful, isn't he? He's grateful. He has thanksgiving on his lips. Oh, Lord, thank you that I am not like that poor slob over there. He's a tax collector. He cheats people. I give a tenth of my income and I fast every week. I honor the law. Thank you. Is that gratitude? Let me tell you what will never emerge from that dude's lips is to this man, you are welcome here. That's a problem. Because our thanksgivings are not proper, complete, not godly, not Christ-like without also the word you are welcome. What creates that welcome? What's preventing it from the older brother? He's miserly in his welcome or refusing to welcome because he is truly not grateful for what he has. He believes that he's the author of his own feast. He's the author of his own good, of his good rewards. So he is not thankful, just like the the Pharisee in the temple. Thank you is not thank you. It's essentially, I earned this. I deserve this. And President Lincoln chastises us for that attitude, and so does God's Word. He expects a thank you. He demands a welcome which is based on merit. And so we don't want our Thanksgiving celebration to be a validation of our efforts, but rather a grateful remembrance of God's grace. Our Thanksgiving begins with, Thank you, Lord, for how much grace you've shown. Thank you for how you filled my empty parts, healed my brokenness, restored me when I was undeserving. Thank you, Lord, for welcoming me when I did not deserve to be welcomed. You rolled out the red carpet. And that gets us to the prodigal son, the lost son. Maybe you feel like him at times. Maybe I've encountered this twice in the last week. And it's interesting because we often think it's rare. You know what drove the Reformation? Was Luther's worry that God could not be loving. That God could not love him. That was what drove the Reformation. There's all these demands. God couldn't possibly love me. Twice this last week, I've met with folks for whom that specter and that cloud of dark doubt hangs over them. And what a delight it is to say, You are free. Thank God, like the Father, He's running to you. He is running with abandon. He doesn't care what people see. And He envelops you in His arms and He welcomes you home. But there are still those hearts saying, how can I be forgiven for what I have done? And so therefore, let me get my welcome by what I can do. They're wondering, will my past preclude me from being welcomed by the Father? Will my thoughts and the temptations I face, do they remove me from his welcome? If I come, will I be rejected or ignored? You know, that's a challenge. I love to say this. This is why I love to meet with folks who are new to us and to say, thank you for being so brave to walk in a new church. Thank you. It can be scary because like the prodigal son, many people think variations of this thing. These people don't know my past. These people don't know what happened. These people don't understand. Will I look stupid? Will I say the wrong thing? Will I stand up at the wrong time? What if my kids are noisy? Will they judge me? And sadly, it's not only guests who feel that, but sometimes people who have been coming to church for years and years and years. Thank God that our thanksgiving is grounded on a Father who runs to us. He won't let him get away. Because think about what he could have done. How many times do you wonder if on that journey home, the the prodigal son, the lost son stopped and turned around? And God's Spirit prompted him to come back. And so he he kept going. How many times the father had to run, probably, to keep him from turning around again? You know, I love the story, you know, one of the best uh, Thanksgiving movies, it's a Thanksgiving movie, is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I don't recommend it for your children unless you get the edited version. Um, Although I'm stunned by how much language people hear today anyway. But anyway, um, but John Candy plays a character called Del Griffith. And isn't it interesting, Del Griffith is a shower curtain ring salesman. Doesn't that sound delightful? Um, And he is a loser, And he knows it. He fabricates a life, doesn't he? He creates a false narrative. The coolest thing about it is, and and Steve Martin, who's with him, thinks he's a loser too. And treats him like a loser and calls him a loser and declares him to be a loser. And yet through that journey, through that shared experience together, he ultimately says, welcome home. Come to my home. Be part of my family. So it's not a perfect analogy, but what a cool idea that in spite of Dell's background, in spite of all the mishaps and all the foolishness and all the braggadocio and the, and the lies, in spite of all that, he is still invited in. He is still welcomed in. Although, let's take this twist. In God's eyes, it's because of that. It's because of our need. It's because of our, 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 our longing. It's because we are unsure if we are valuable or if God will welcome us. It's because of those very things that God extends the invitation and welcomes us home when we come home like the lost son. He's welcomed as family. Now that's a family member who knows what grace is all about. The lost son. The prodigal son. I imagine when we get to heaven, you know who's going to be in the welcoming committee? Is this guy. This guy's going to be in the welcoming committee. And the people who had no hope. It's going to be Peter who denied Jesus, right? It's going to be Paul who tried to kill Christians. It's going to be Mary Magdalene who had demons in her and cast out. All those people, the woman who comes and weeps at Jesus' feet and is so grateful for welcome, these people know how to welcome because they know what it's like to not be. And so welcomed by their Savior, they're going to be the welcoming crew in heaven. But then the final one, of course, is the extravagant father, the prodigal. That's what that word means. It means extravagant. And so you have the extravagant father who fulfilled his son's request, extravagant, outlandish request, but then extravagantly welcomes him home. An extravagant welcome after what was an extravagant send-off. Unexpected. A grateful father. Grateful to be able to show extravagant love. There's a little story I found that I think is is pretty cool. And it's a story about a little boy in a church. And the pastor of the church, whenever he, at every Sunday, he had a rose, a boutonniere. So he wore a rose boutonniere. And uh, every Sunday he had that. And so it became kind of routine. But then this little boy came up to him and he said, Pastor, what are you going to do with your flower? And at first, he didn't know what the boy was talking about, but then he looked at it and he said, oh, the rose, you mean this? And the boy said, sir, if you're just going to throw it away, I would like to have it. Well, the preacher smiled at him and told him he could have the flower and then said, why? Why would you like that? And the boy was probably eight or nine years old. He said, I'm going to give it to my granny. My mom and dad divorced last year, and I was living with my mother, but she married again and wanted me to live with my father. I lived with him for a while. He said I couldn't stay. So he sent me to live with my grandmother. She is so good to me. She cooks for me, takes care of me. She's been so good to me, I wanted to give her that pretty flower for loving me. When the little boy was finished, the preacher could hardly speak. And he knew that he'd been touched by God. He reached up and he unpinned the rose. And with the flower in his hand, he looked at the boy and he said, Son, that is the nicest thing that I've heard, but you can't have this flower because it's not enough. If you look in front of the church, you'll see a big bouquet of flowers. Different families buy them for the church each week. Please take all those flowers to your granny because she deserves the very best. And then little boy made this statement. This is with the great point. He said, what a great day. I asked for one flower, but I got a beautiful bouquet. That's the extravagant father. The son said, can I just come home? And he said, not just home. You're a son of the father. You're a child of the king." You are welcome here in this place. He is saying, you're welcome. He watches and waits for him. He runs to greet his son, not his slave. He grants his robe, his ring, his sandals. He drops everything, prepares a feast. Everything the Father says is, you're welcome. Welcome home. And that's when we are truly grateful. When we can look and say, welcome home. You are truly welcome here, extravagant in our thanksgivings, extravagant in our welcome, because we have been welcomed by our Father. Our thank you and our gratitudes to our Lord is always greeted with his voice. You are welcome here. To God be the glory, now and always. Amen.